Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast for Sunday, December 12th, 2021, the third Sunday of Advent. My name is Richard, Richard Lanford, and I'm the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. This Sunday, the scriptures are going to be read by David Iannotti, and the sermon is called What Then Should We Do, or What Then Shall We Do?, which is a quote right out of the Gospel according to Luke, which is kind of what the sermon is about, and it it digs a little deeper in the historical context, and uh, in our context, and how that question is true for us if we would be true to the spirit and meaning of Advent, getting ready for the arrival of Christ. The scriptures are from Luke 3, and also David reads from Zephaniah and Philippians. And before going further, please join me in the spirit of prayer. Mysterious and loving God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to spend some time with your word and an extrapolation of it. Move in us as we listen and show us what you want for us to hear and guide our thinking and meditating upon what we hear in the times that follow. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one whose coming we anticipate. Amen. And now, the readings and the sermon. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. In this beautiful passage, which ends the book, the Lord promises the joy of restoration to a fallen Jerusalem. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will will exult over you with loud singing on the day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This ends the reading from Zephaniah. The epistle lesson is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul, who writes from prison in Rome, Give some words of exhortation and encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. 
Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This ends the reading of the epistle lesson. Our service continues with a musical meditation by Ben Westphal. Are you a close-to-last-minute or almost close-to-last-minute shopper for Christmas? Struggling, perhaps, with what to give certain people for the day or the 12 days of Christmas? Do you want guaranteed delivery by December 24th? Look no further than the New Testament for the best gift suggestions. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, John said to them, whoever has two coats must give, must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Well, this is the time of year for almost last-minute gift givers. And yes, I am one of them. Our mailboxes and email start to fill up with suggestions for this time in Advent aimed at us. The pitch goes something like this. Only X number of days until Christmas. Here are some great gift suggestions for that special someone. Guaranteed delivery by December 24th if you order before midnight tonight. Well, some of us appreciate the helpful reminder. A few of us well, began our Christmas shopping with after Christmas sales after last December 25th. Probably online, given the prevalence of COVID and no vaccines yet. And some of us are done, while most of us are in between. However you and I approach the annual shopping spree, it's a pretty fair bet that at some point during the Advent season, most of us are faced with the question, what should I give? It's a question retailers love to hear because a large portion of their annual revenue arrives in November and December. Hence the term Black Friday. It helps them get into the black, money-wise. Well, I said the New Testament. The biblical magi knew what to give to their recipient. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they are replicated by mysterious foil-wrapped parcels held out by bathrobe Sunday school students in Christmas pageants. Gold, the sign of royalty. Frankincense, those waxy crystals that when burned emit an aroma associated in our day with high church and holiness. Myrrh, a pungent spice used in ancient times to anoint dead bodies for burial, and in the case of the Christ child, an ominous foreshadowing of things to come. Did you realize that the New Testament gives a gift-giving guide? It comes from a man most would consider an unusual candidate for personal shopping consultant, John the Baptist. Old John does not much resemble the picture that comes to mind when we hear the words personal shopper. He surely does not dress to impress. As UCC pastor Cheryl Lindsay writes, John the Baptist did not tickle any ears. His preaching was confrontational, direct, 
and harsh. Greeting a crowd gathered around him, he called them a brood of vipers. And this wasn't, didn't specify scribes and Pharisees were being the brood of vipers. That may be another gospel, not here. It's everybody who would gather. Now, of course, John's message is not exactly feel-good religion. With an inspirational message like his, warning you to flee from the wrath to come, you'd think he would not have any followers left. Although, in truth, it's quite the opposite. The crowds just kept coming. They scrambled down the muddy riverbank, wade out into the water and cross their arms before their chests before this camel hair shirt wearing fellow puts their heads under water for the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John offers one thing that no one else in the religion business seems to offer. Truth. Folks will come a long way and put up with quite a lot of hardship, even getting dunked in muddy river water, if by doing so they'll encounter the truth. It is then, it is that then, which recommends him to us as a spiritual, personal gift counselor. As my December announcer main article says, the birth of Christ is very much about truth, too. What then should we do, said the people, after hearing John's prophecy of doom and the need to repent, Here is where the confrontational, direct, and harsh John turns almost pastoral and certainly practical as he answers their questions in easy-to-understand terms. This is one of my favorite passages with John for that reason. What then should we do, they asked. Well, here's where John's gift-giving advice comes in. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. If you have two coats hanging in your closet and you know someone who has no coat, give one of yours away to that person. That's a 50% charitable giving standard for the mathematically inclined, uh, a quintuple, quintuple tithe, or... If you're sitting down at the Taco Palace with a couple of burritos and you see a homeless man or woman with their nose pressed up against the glass, you know what to do. Get some carry-out napkins and plasticware and give half your lunch away, heck, maybe even invite them in to join you at table. This is probably harder for us to do than we tell ourselves it is. Not that it should be. Now notice that John is not talking about the sort of giving that occupies most of our attention in these days leading up to Christmas. The names on our shopping lists mostly belong to people close to us, persons we know and love. Where's the name of the person who lives in a tent behind the woods right after the gas station? Or the skin and bones mother in a refugee camp in some war-torn country? Not only that, it's more than even writing end-of-the-year checks to the churches and our favorite charitable organizations, and giving money is a great thing. And I'll say it again, giving money is a great thing. Without it, so many things that help others could not really get going and help those others. 
When it comes to a subject like justice, though, it's not the whole story. Some tax collectors come up to John and they ask, what should we do? His reply, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Some soldiers come up and they ask, what about us? What should we do? John answers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Tax collectors, formerly known in the Bible as publicans, and soldiers in Roman times were notorious for their corrupt ways. They wouldn't be asked, Jesus or John the Baptist wouldn't be saying, this is what you need to stop doing, if it wasn't something he assumed they were doing because it was so widespread. In fact, the police and tax collectors often worked together to fleece the common folk. Now, the publicans worked on commission. Can you imagine if you went to your tax accountant for help with their tax return, and she struck out a bunch of deductions because... You know, they earn a percentage of the tax you owe. So deductions lessen the amount you have to pay tax on, so they don't want to see any deductions. That will increase the money you have to pay tax on, which increases your taxes, which increases their commission. Great. No. There was no accountability either if they overcharged you. Rome would get its cut. That's all Rome cared about. And so if somebody took more than was appointed for them too bad because if you were a Jewish citizen unless there were certain circumstances you couldn't go to court and say fraud I was defrauded I was whatever because you couldn't go to court you were a Jewish person in a Roman Empire you had no civil rights so John is trying to say don't do that as for the soldiers they were the enforcers it's as though a crooked cop maybe pulled you over for a, a traffic violation and assessed a cash fine right there on the spot, then pocketed the whole thing. You want to argue, asks the officer, placing her hand on her pistol. A no officer. That's all right. Have a nice day. I thought so. We know from Matthew that a soldier could force a Jewish person to carry their heavy pack one mile because Jesus says, if that happens to you, carry it two miles. And it occurred to me, in, again, in preparing the sermon and thinking about these situations, that it wasn't just a bad apple here or there in case what these tax collectors and soldiers coming forward might be included in these he says that to all of these because this, these were prevalent practices. You could say they were in the system. And he says, you want to show that bear fruit worthy of repentance? Stop doing this, everybody. Change the system that oppresses other people. Those are corrupt things that all of you or most all of you were doing. That's a gift change unjust systems. And John said, do you want, you want to do something to get ready for the coming one who's mightier than I and that can baptize you with fire as I do with water? Do not hoard. Share. You in positions of power, tax collectors and soldiers, do not abuse it. Do not be a party to oppressing those already oppressed. Church pastor Isaac Villegas, Jr., who writes biblical commentary for preachers and Bible study leaders in Sojourners magazine, 
said, in the company of soldiers and tax collectors, we too ask, and we, what should we do? John's response, Viegas says, John's response centers on money, on the economics of grace, and on the redistribution of property and wealth. And then he quotes, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Do not extort money from anyone. Now it's very possible that John's advice on gift giving goes beyond gift to those on the margins whom we do not know. Someone once told a parable, which I've shared before, at least once or twice, um, and there's different ways it can go, but it's about a town near a river, and a citizen notices a person in the river who's floating on the river out there, barely alive. So what do you do? He swims out, pulls the unfortunate soul out of the water, and administers first aid. And then he sees another bedraggled self uh, half-drowned person, and, he, and then another. So he gets help, both persons are rescued, but as days and then weeks and months went by, and more drowning people just kept floating down by their town, he asked, how long must this go on before we'd send a group of people to go upstream and do something about whoever's causing these people to fall in, or maybe throwing these people into the river? Martin Luther King Jr. makes a similar point, reflecting on the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, on the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion is more than flipping a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. Let's be honest. How many of us do look uneasily on the glaring contrast between poverty and wealth at Christmas time? I know some do, some here do, maybe all of us here do. May the rest, maybe those who don't, maybe if they follow Christ, they ought to, though I don't like to use oughts. At least that's what John the Baptist may be telling us with his talk of giving away, if you extrapolate from you have two coats, give one away. If he's telling us, give away half the clothes in our drawers and closets to those who have no clothes, half the food on our plates. Somehow, if we start to think more like that, our Christmas gift lists take on another, a different character when viewed through the wild and passionate eyes of John the Baptizer. Christmas, to be sure, is meant to comfort us with the good news of God's radical, self-giving love for the whole human family. But there's also a secondary message, equally important to Jesus and the gospel writers. And that message is meant to confront us, yes, us, with all the ways our world still does not measure up to God's standards of fairness or justice, and how we, by our actions, can make a difference. 
Now, those may not be the tidings of comfort and joy many are expecting from a sermon in the weeks before Christmas, but preachers really have no choice about delivering such a message totally. Because what John preaches is also what these Advent scriptures say. So, what is John's Christmas giving advice? And, or, how do we answer the questions posed by those persons in the Bible who come up to John and ask, in response to his warning message, what should we do? The answer is pretty much the same as the one he spoke to them. Do some Christmas giving, only do not limit your giving to <clears throat> the usual suspects. The ones who gather around our Christmas trees each year, who give us gifts in return. Give to the least and the lost and the lonely, those who have no coat. Give to them directly if you know any of them, or give through the church and its missions. Such giving can find us in that parable where we, where we show that we've become interested in, damage, in justice for the damaged and look to the causes of why people drown or they get thrown off the bridge or slip off a faulty embankment by the water. We may rediscover the truths about that phrase, systemic injustice, as it seems most, it's mostly that same kind of folks who are drowning or getting shot or getting sexually assaulted, having their votes count after redistricting, who live in food deserts or are sending their kids to crumbling school buildings. Where are the ministries that look for such damage done and try to transform what's happening to so such life-taking practices can stop? Can we and I give our cloaks to them somehow? See their good work, see how it ultimately edifies our souls. As we do so, at one level or another, we follow the example of Jesus himself. He ultimately came into this world to give. He came to give himself in his life, his whole life. And on Calvary's cross, in the empty tomb, and in his resurrection, so that we may have life and have it abundantly, and not just us. It was no easy gift that Christ gave. You and I honor his gift to us by giving of ourselves to continue the justice orientation aspect of why he was given. And that is very good news, along with the comfort that we receive from the news that Emmanuel is with us. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast for Sunday, December uh, 12, 2021. I hope you'll tune in next week when we have December 19th. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. The scriptures will again be from Luke and also from the prophet Micah. Karen Christensen is scheduled to be our lector, and I cannot tell you yet what the sermon's going to be about because, well, today is Sunday evening, and I haven't figured that out yet. But I hope you will look us up uh, after next Sunday, and find out. Thanks again for tuning in, and may God bless your week.